Hello and welcome everyone to Devour the Podcast. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Listen, asshole! No, you listen, you little bitch! You hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish! Who died in my jeep? Fucking king of the zombies. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Hey, happy Halloween, everyone. It is your old pal Bo here with another episode, a bonus episode of Devour the Podcast. This is more of our uh, doing reviews of things I've been watching. This concludes 31 films in 31 days, although it ended up being a little bit more than that, although with a break in the middle. So, I don't know. You do the math. I wasn't paying that much attention, to be honest. I was just watching movies and having a good time. Uh, thanks for everyone who... who came along the uh along this journey um like i've said in a couple of the morbid mondays uh and if you're not watching that it's over on the youtube channel for legion podcasts uh every monday at eight o'clock eastern time um live there just doing questions and chit chat and whatnot uh so i think this show is going to be or, or this little bonus unit of Devour the Podcast will be kind of its own thing. I like just kind of chit-chatting with you guys directly and saying, hey, here's what I've been watching, and uh, and it's been fun. And if you have any questions or if, if there's anything you would like uh, in a Devour the Podcast bonus episode, uh, just drop me a line over at the Facebook page um, for Devour the Podcast, or you can email me at boatlegionpodcasts.com, uh, plural as always. Not the .com part, .coms, um, the Legion Podcasts part. Uh, so, at any rate, uh, let's get to it. Let's talk about the last seven movies I watched for Halloween. Um, I back-ended it with a couple of uh, movies I knew I'd like, so, you know, hey, it's it's Halloween. I gotta treat myself a little bit. But let's start with uh, some stuff that maybe wasn't so good. Um, let's start with The Final Purge. Uh, I have seen all of these Purge movies uh, and it's weird that I have seen all of them. Um, I feel like <laughs> they are in some ways kind of a, a grindhouse sort of trash that I don't indulge in that often. But, uh, you know, here we are. Here's the trailer for the last, the first purge. Tonight allows people a release for all the hatred and violence that they keep up inside them. This won't bring him back. It won't make you feel any better. Thank you. It is a night that is defining our country. Citizens, this will be a tradition we celebrate every year. Join the first purge. Isaiah, come say bye. Go to your thing, sis. Always. I'll see you tonight. People are now calling this controversial experiment of legalized crime the purge. Do not purge! Do not purge! You and Isaiah, just stay with me during the purge. Oh, we're going to be fine on our own. 
We are here with Dr. May Updale. She came up with this experiment. Is the purge a political device? It is a psychological one. If we want to save our country, we must release all our anger in one night. Tonight, we'll see the good and evil in everyone. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the first purge. Our neighborhood is under siege from a government who doesn't give a shit about any of us. At the siren, all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 hours. There's a lot of good people out there who we're going to have to protect. All emergency services will be suspended. We got to be prepared for anything. Your government thanks you for your participation. Parties, you predicted a much higher level of participation. Human nature does not obey the laws of politics. What the hell is going on? ex-military something funky going down d you're sending soldiers into the island disguised as citizens this country needs for this to work no one's coming to help us after tonight nothing will ever be the same again they forgot about one thing they forgot about us what have i done Stay strong, I'm coming. Just remember all the good the Purge does. Okay, so the first Purge is a prequel to uh, all the other Purge movies. You got your uh, uh, Purge Founders Day. You got your, I don't know, Purge Election Year is one. The Purge. Um, at any rate, uh, they're all kind of one level of dumb or another. The sequels I think are better than the original one. Um, at any rate, let's talk about the first purge, which uh, came out this year, 2018. It is directed by Gerard McMurray or Gerard McMurray. Um, who is a director of a movie called burning sands. um, and uh, is doing uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, I guess the new uh, Jordan Peele produced Twilight Zone. That right on. Good job, uh, Gerard McMurray. At any rate, uh, written by James DeMonico, uh, who wrote uh, The Purge Election Year and The Purge Anarchy and The Purge. You know, all them purges. Uh, he is the, the the keeper of knowledge for The Purge series, I assume. Uh, it It is uh, described uh, in this manner on IMDb. America's third political party, the New Founding Fathers of America, comes to power and conducts an experiment. No laws for 12 hours on Staten Island. No one has to stay on the island, but $5,000 is given to anyone who does. Um, and that pretty well sums it up, right? Like it's the, the super conservative, take America back, nationalist party rising in the uh, the purge films that's uh, in control in the later purge films um has this is when they're doing their first test on Staten Island it's very racially charged uh it might be worth noting the uh director is african american and thus the the fact that there's so much about hey they're doing this in Staten Island because it's a largely minority community um this feeds into the narrative of um 
you know, white people being afraid and the, and this founding fathers movement, um, sort of certainly pointing the finger at the other, you know, uh, this stuff hits a little too close to home these days in, in terms of its politics. I mean, that's kind of why it's the perfect kind of exploitation movie for our times, because it's not exploiting like the rape fantasy or sexuality or something like that. It's exploiting politics. And because everything is so divisive and, and people have drawn some, some pretty harsh lines, a movie like The Purge works because it's, you know, it, it, it's not the far flung future. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you know, if Trump was like, we're going to have the biggest purge, it's going to be the best purge, you'd be like, I, that's not the craziest thing he said, really. Um, so I don't know. Um, at any rate, aside from the, the potential of reality for uh, the purge series. Um, it's all right. Uh, the, the performances, uh, it's Yolan Noel as Dimitri, Lex Scott Davis as, uh, Naya, uh, Javon Wade as Isaiah, Mugga as Dolores, uh, Marissa Tomei is in it for about five minutes. Um, I don't know what you got paid, but you know, Good Lord, worth every penny. Marissa Tumey is always a delight. And, and she is... Slight spoilers for the first purge. Marissa Tomei gets taken out of the facility uh, where they're observing all the purge stuff. Um, and uh, gets taken to Staten Island and there's an overhead shot of her stepping out onto the streets in Staten Island. And it's this like high drone kind of shot. And it's like, there is no way on God's green earth. That is Marissa Tomei in that, in that uh, particular sequence. Um, it, it like, you never see a close up of her and you're like, Oh no, no, no. She was done. Like she was in the building and was like, Hey, uh, what do you want me to say? Okay. Uh, how many lines? 14. No, no, no. Don't even give me a script. Just tell me what I'm saying. Um, and that was how she ended up in uh, the the first purge. But I will say that I kind of liked the relationships between the characters. Um, there, a lot of it's real cheesy, but appeals to me. Like there are the three old timers of the neighborhood who have seen all the gang shit go by and that kind of thing. And they're called the three wise men. And there's a bit with them, you know, defending their turf and you're like ah, i'm a sucker for this shit you know this is this is fun exploitation movie kind of fair and that's what these movies are let's let's be honest uh you know these purge movies are exploitation movies like i said they're not ex exploiting sexuality or violence per se although there's some of that um but no they're exploiting the politics of our time um so, yeah, I, you know, I thought it was okay. Uh, I enjoyed it just fine. You know, it was one of those movies that rolled by kind of kind of breezy. And, you know, sometimes that's okay. Um, I think it ends optimistically, which feels inappropriate because you know where that series heads. And maybe it's particularly pointed. The It is the halo reach of uh, <laughs> of, of Purge movies or something. But eh, it's fine, you know. I, so I would give uh, the first purge. I would give it two and a half stars. I think it's a right down the middle. I there's some really goofy, over the top kind of, uh, you know, like the costuming for some of the villains where it's it's just completely fascist, and you're like, okay, I get it. Like there is nothing subtle about the first purge. You are not going to uh, wonder at the 
the weaving of subtext into the film by any stretch, but uh, you know, it's okay. The the characters are are kind of fun. You know, you have that kind of uh, uh, drug dealer, but secret hero uh, sort of character going on in the movie, and uh, yeah, it was all fine. Um, I don't again. It's got plenty of problems and it's real hammy, but it's one of those things where I, I feel like that is a real turn off your brain kind of movie. And, you know, it's all right. Two and a half stars. What's next? Let's, hey, let's talk about, okay, so I've been on this Dark Castle kick where I've seen uh, Ghost Ship and uh, a couple of weeks ago watched uh, House on Haunted Hill, the uh, remake of that with Jeffrey Rush. Uh, as well as the remake of uh, Ghost Ship. No, Ghost Ship was an original property, right? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I don't recall a classic film called Ghost Ship. Although I'm sure something was called that. Anyway, I watched 13 Ghosts is the point of this. And 13 Ghosts uh, is described as this. When Cyrus Criticos, a very rich collector of unique things, dies, he leaves it all to his nephew and his family. All including his house, his fortune, and his malicious collection of ghosts. Uh, it was uh, produced in uh, the year of our Lord two thousand one, and it it was uh, and it was directed by Steve Beck, who had previously uh, done um, the Ghost Ship or would do Ghost Ship after this, which eh, kind of tells you where we're <laughs> what kind of quality we're dealing with here. Um, I'm sorry. That's a terrible thing to say about Steve Beck. Um, but was also written by uh, Neil Marshall Stevens, known uh, for writing films like um, The Killer Eye and Super Hybrid. Uh, as well as uh, this film, you know, 13 Ghosts. Uh, let's see, what else did he do? Retro Puppet Master, uh, Stitches, um, Murder Cycle. Craw the Sea Monster, Deformed Monsters, Mystery Monsters, Head of the Family. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is a dude you could just go through every movie he made. Like, he started writing movies in the late 80s, or started writing in the late 80s with the Monsters television series, and seemed to write pretty steadily... From 1996 to, uh, you know, kind of Hellraiser debtor seemed to have dried the well for a few years. And then uh, maybe Demonic Toys and Super Hybrid. And eh, he's a working screenwriter. God bless him, man. Um, Anyway, sorry, detoured on on the poor screenwriter. At, uh, at, uh, hey, let's have a listen to the trailer for 13 Ghosts and uh, get ourselves back on track here. There are ghosts around us all the time. Most of them, they can't hurt us. Most of them don't even want to hurt us. But there are exceptions. Is it bad tonight? Oh, bad. It is my professional opinion. We should get the hell out of here. Now. I 
I represent the estate of your Uncle Cyrus. We have an Uncle Cyrus? Cyrus recorded this message six weeks ago. He asked it to be played for you in the event of his death. Arthur, I've instructed my lawyer to deliver my last will and testament. A key? A key to what? A key to your new house. This house is the fruit of my life's work. Oh, my God. It is a one-of-a-kind home. It's marvelous, isn't it? Wow! Arthur, we've got some papers to sign in the library. After that, I would love to take you and the family around on a tour of the house. This place is awesome! All right, now I know I'm dreaming. Well, your uncle was quite a collector of many things. What the hell was that? This Halloween. You're wasting your time. It's all sealed up. The only thing worse than being trapped in a house with a ghost. This house is not a house. We're in the middle of a machine. Powered by the dead. Is being trapped in a house with 13 ghosts. Maggie! What? We got company. Where? I can't see. How close is it? Close enough to hurt you. Go, 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 go! to get me killed i guarantee you nothing okay so a uh, quick note about the cast uh, tony shaloub of monk fame plays arthur criticos the nephew who has won all this the father to the family and beth davids is kalina who is potentially sort of a um he's sort of the mr pecker from ghostbusters except she's not evil or is she? Um, Matthew Lillard as Dennis Rafkin, the nerdy assistant to um, F. Murray Abraham, who played the uncle who left all his shit to uh, Tony Shalhoub and his family, and who helped um, uh, Matthew Lillard would help F. Murray Abraham, you know, capture ghosts. It happens right in the first scene. It's I'm not spoiling nothing for you if you've never seen this. Also, don't watch this. Um, Shannon Elizabeth is Kathy Criticos. Uh, and then some other kids are in it and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, this is the, uh, like, I think the William, Ca- the original William Castle movie is, is kind of fun, but there's an element of camp to those that sort of baked in, into the mix. And that makes it somehow more tolerable to me, I think. Whereas a movie like 13 ghosts, the remake of 13 ghosts, it's, it leans very heavily on style that I don't think is very good. There's a lot of close-up slow motion stuff happening. It's just sick with it, this movie is. And it's really distracting. It it makes the movie worse, not better, every time you see one of those little, you know, slow motion close-ups happening. And it happens a lot with a lot of quick editing. Um, the characters are not very good. Uh, the house is inscrutable like it, it's one of those things unlike the uh house on haunted hill where it's like oh that's a great big spooky mansion up on a on a hilltop whereas uh, you know in 13 ghosts it's like oh yeah it's a great big spooky mansion why is it made like this this doesn't make any sense like this would be the fucking worst if you had a, if uh, had like some secret house where you had to hit the right button and press the right lever so the door to your 
bedroom was open and not shut off and you couldn't get to the toilet in time and it's all glass anyway and why on earth would you do this um yeah i <laughs> i don't like it i like i like my haunted houses a little less avant-garde in their architecture i think so yeah the the setting isn't really very good it's just confusing like everything kind of looks the same so you never know really where you are and why this is different from the other room and blah 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 um the ghosts look okay uh i think it's some knb work um howard kurtzman uh howard berger and greg nicotero i think i've got the robert kurtzman ah, it doesn't matter um but knb i think was in on that and and the practical effects are fine it's again the the strobe effects of like oh now you see the ghost and now you don't and it's this slow motion again a slow motion close-up with a lot of editing uh, it, thrown in for good measure. It's just a mess uh, to look at. It's real confusing. It It's kind of boring for having 13 ghosts in it. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it feels like a real, a real wasted opportunity. Much like Ghost Ship. You know, I think our, our pal Steve Beck here maybe isn't great at directing Haunted Things movies. Uh, it would be my argument. But... Eh, you know, I'm trying to think, is there anything to really recommend 13 Ghosts? Matthew Lillard's kind of fun in it in a couple of scenes, but even then, I would just say watch House on Haunted Hill, because he's basically the same character as Chris Kattan, only Chris Kattan's way better in that role, and it's a funnier character to begin with. Um, Yeah, uh, I would... uh, let's give it one and a half stars. I'm always reluctant to give uh, a film one star to me. Giving something one star is like, look, this is just a turd. Um, and 13 ghosts comes close to that, but not quite, but it's not a two star movie. That's for sure. So, uh, 13 ghosts, one and a half stars for shame. 13 ghosts for shame. Um, and then, hey, I watched uh, Summer of 84. Finally got around to that when it dropped on Shutter. So let's, uh, let's listen to the trailer for Summer of 84. The sheriff's office reports they're likely looking for a white male. Preferred targets appear to be males aged 12 to 16. It's a serial killer. received a letter from an individual calling themselves the caveman slayer there's a serial killer on the loose what else could possibly be this exciting incoming titties 12 o'clock guys nikki keshuba scientifically the perfect woman huh better view of my room than i thought sweet dreams emergency meeting treehouse now mackie is the caveman slayer mackie's a cop with a sick reputation wasn't counting on us David. Hey. Guys, I'm freaking out, okay? Relax. You look like you're 30. It's gonna be fine. Now go. You're gonna get caught either by Mackie or your dad. I know I'm right about him. That doesn't prove anything. Are you with me? I don't want anything bad to happen to you. We're trying to save people. Yeah, well, you're not. Guys on station are gonna love this. <laughs> Just let it go. Sorry again that you're uh, grounded. Let's see if I can get you out of this house. No hard feelings. Wrong, you're wrong about everything. 
serial killers live next door to somebody. Okay, so Summer of 84 is directed by Francois Simard, Anouk Wissel, Johan uh, Carl Whistle, written by Matt Leslie and Stephen J. Smith, um, who uh, wrote this. And I think, did they write the heroine together? Yeah, maybe. At any rate. Um, and it's directed by the guys who did Turbo Kid, which is a big fan favorite. I got to admit to you folks here. Uh, I've never seen Turbo Kid. Um, it just didn't appeal to me, the the sound of it. Uh, I should, I, I'll give it a watch at some point, I'm sure. But I just, I haven't seen it yet. And, and so that does not color my impression of this movie at all. I don't have good or bad feelings about Turbo Kid. So, um, you guys probably know this. I've said this on Devour the Podcast a bunch. And I will try to say this as succinctly as possible so we don't get in the weeds on uh, just my own personal preferences about movies. Although that's kind of what this is about, right? Um, I am not crazy about movies that rely, not just movies, just entertainment in general, that relies heavily on nostalgia. Uh, I think that a, a piece of art should stand alone and not point to another piece of art and say, remember this, and that's sort of the draw. Um you know, I, I think it works just fine in some contexts, and and sometimes it can go over the top. And, you know, poor Duncan had already warned me, like, well, there's a lot of that in, in this movie. And there is a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot of uh a lot of references to movies and music and, and the culture of of the nineteen eighties, uh which is when the, the film is set. Um it was a bit much for me, a fair amount of the time. Which is really unfortunate because I, I kind of like the characters and I like, <laughs> I, there, there's a lot to like about Summer of 84. Um, but just to finish the thought about the, the nostalgia aspect of it, I felt like it hurt rather than helped. Uh, it, it was a distraction to me. I can understand that there are some people um, who would watch this film and have no uh, would never blink an eye at the amount of nostalgia being kind of thrown at the screen. And maybe there are some people who are watching it for that thing because they like to be reminded of that stuff. Um, I'm not one of those people. Like, it's fine to have contextual stuff. The example I used on the Morbid Mondays recently was they use uh, G.I. Joe walkie-talkies. I'm like, oh, well, that's fine because that's the walkie-talkies you would have on the on the shelves. It's the shit you would want for Christmas and that kind of thing. Totally understand that. But when you have one of the characters who is constantly like referencing the Goonies and, um, geez, what was uh, like Gremlins? Uh, there was a reference to what happens when you get her wet after midnight, um, stuff like that. It, and the thing that I was thinking as I was watching, it, like in in the summer of 1984, I would have been 11 years old, you know, not much younger than the age of the character and the characters in these films or in this film. And I didn't know anyone who talked like that. Uh, who, who constantly spoke in references. And the, the example I've used is like, what if you, would you be hanging out with someone who was constantly quoting Austin Powers? You know, that's sort of the nineties equivalent of it, right? Um, the nostalgia films of 10 years from now are going to be characters like behave, you know, doing that shit. And and so that stuff really rubbed me the wrong way in summer of '84, uh, and I'll leave it at that. I feel like that's plenty to talk about 
uh, how I responded badly to one aspect of the film. I felt it was a little egregious as opposed to just weaving into the story. You know, that's fine. I don't mind a period piece. I really don't. Uh, period piece is, is fine. Even something like it, it follows, which is almost timeless in its weird blend of like late 70s furnishing and modern day sort of technology. It's really interesting film. The production design on it follows is something else. At any rate, summer of 84, uh, aside from the nostalgia stuff, I like the characters. I think it takes a while to get started, but I'd heard that it was a slow ramp up and I, I was kind of either prepared for it or it just moved at a better pace than I expected from it. And I enjoyed all that stuff just fine. I thought, uh, the the dude who played the um the killer Dale Woodworth uh, no 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 he he's the the chubby kid um what is the name oh yeah Wayne Mackey Rich Summer is the actor's name who played um the you know the killer next door the alleged killer next door who's also a cop he was fucking great in it I thought he was fantastic uh like I said I liked a lot of the relationships between the kids I found it very believable. Uh, the end is, you know, it, it's a real uh, haymaker of an ending. Like, they go for it, and I think it lands. Um, my biggest complaint with the movie, uh, like I said, is just the uh, the amount of nostalgia. that the, I have the same problem with Stranger Things, when it's like, hey, rather than tell a story or, or for these characters, look at this thing on the shelf that, you, you know, remember? Remember this? And it's like, yeah, I do. Get back to the thing. I'm watching the, the story. I want you to tell me a story. I don't want you to show me shit that I bought when I was a kid and occasionally look for on eBay. You know, that's not what I want my entertainment to be. Uh, you can be inspired by eh, blah, blah, blah. I grouse about it enough later. Um, uh, so what would I grade this ultimately? What would I grade summer of 84? Uh, I think it's frustrating to grade it lower than, you know, a four, but I feel like it's a three and a half star movie. Uh, unfortunately, just because of all the, nostalgia stuff for me and i understand that some people that's not going to bother them in which case this is going to be a better uh film experience for you just for me it was uh, a little bit frustrating so um okay let's talk about uh something that came out just recently uh to the best of my knowledge i think it's only been out for uh, a month or two and that's the unrated version of the evil dead the uh not sam raimi's evil dead no, wait, the 80s one is The Evil Dead. This one was just Evil Dead. Um, written uh, and directed, or co-written and directed by uh, Fede Alvarez and Rodo Sayegas. Sayegas, potentially. I don't know. I got a, a stupid Caucasian mouth. Can't say nothing right. Um, stars Jane Levy as Mia. Shiloh Fernandez as David. Lou Taylor Pucci as Eric. Jessica Lucas as Olivia Elizabeth Blackmore as Natalie. This book alone. 
something from that book. Something evil. This thing is attached to Mia's soul. <laughs> We're gonna have to kill her. You are all going to die tonight. All right, so Fede Alvarez uh, was, you know, kind of tapped um, by Sam Raimi and et al. to do uh, the remake of The Evil Dead, uh, called Evil Dead. And, uh, you know, he's gone on to do Don't Breathe, which I think is quite a good movie. Uh, again, imperfect, but a really good thriller. Um, Girl in the Spider's Web, which, if it has released, I haven't seen it. But I don't think it's come out yet. I think it's a Christmas Day kind of thing. Um, and then he's got Don't Breathe 2 in the hopper, as well as a remake that looks like of Labyrinth, which I would say, hey, if you're going to let him do a, a remake, I'm kind of okay with it. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of hype uh, when this movie was released. There was talk when it hit home video for the first time of like, oh, there's going to be an unrated version. It's going to be real fucked up. Things come out of her eyes and something comes out of her butt. And, <laughs> and it never happened. And then finally, I don't know what the impetus for it was. I should have probably done more research, but I do a ton of research for other shows, and this ain't th- these bonus episodes ain't that. So, um, so you tell me, you know, like, leave me a message and let me know if uh, there was a reason why it took so goddamn long for them to release an unrated version, other than maybe like, hey, we can cash in on it at a later date, and this is that later date. I don't know. But uh, I haven't gone back to watch the original, uh, the original remake, and not the unrated one. I know there's a difference of about five minutes of runtime. Uh, certainly, there are places where I'm like, I don't remember that from the movie, uh, from the first time I saw it. Uh, the tree rape scene goes a little further. Um, what and and there's just some some more gore, you know. But it was fun. Um, it, like here's the thing: watching that movie again, I am. Uh, there is a critical flaw in that movie and the critical flaw of that movie is uh the character that Lou Taylor Pucci plays the Eric character the one with the the shitty beard and whatnot and the the deal of him like reading from the book that it has scribbled in the margins like please whatever you do for the love of god don't read this book are you crazy do not read this you are going to summon demons are you, do you have shit in your head? Can you not read the other stuff? And he has to do like a tracing of the book. And I just wish they had given that character like one line where he's like, I want to see the world burn. Like my relationship is falling apart or something. And I'm more obsessed with knowledge than I am with safety. Just something to give that character a reason to do what he did. And I, I can't find it to this day. Even in the unrated version, I still don't understand why that character pursues this uh, line of action, but uh, there you go. Um, that said, I really do like the idea of the 
reason that they can't leave the cabin is because Mia is going to say crazy things because she's coming off of heroin. And we need to keep her here so that she does not hurt herself or hurt others. Uh, she OD'd recently, and, you know, that was a big a big mess. And, I, you know, I like her in, in the film. Um, what I like about Evil Dead, uh, the Evil Dead, and, and what I continue to like about Evil Dead 2013 is that um, it is a movie that gleefully goes too far. Except I think my problem with the movie is that it's not gleeful enough in how far it goes. I, I think it goes plenty far. I think it's got some genuinely disturbing and really great special effects moments in it. Like when Mia licks the razor and splits her tongue. And uh, I think that's really gruesome. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff in the movie. Like burning the girl alive in the opening few minutes. There's some dodgy CGI there. But fine, you know, whatever. We're We're kicking it off right. Uh, we're getting, we're getting real, man. We're getting fucking rock and roll up in this piece. Come on, brother. This movie's for real. And that's kind of how Evil Dead is. And it almost, it's, it's, it is earnest almost to a fault where it's just like, we ain't fucking around, man. What? Just get my Corvette. Um, we're going to take this thing up to about 140, 145, get them pistons pumping, and then we're going to see some scary shit. And, <laughs> And that's kind of how Evil Dead rolls. It just it keeps showing you more and more audacious and, and wild things. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, you know, Mia gets beheaded and then she's okay again and blah, blah, blah. Uh, fine. Um, you know, the when you're possessed, it don't count if you get dismembered or whatever. I don't know. Um, and I, I still feel like the move to make Mia sort of the Ash character, like the, the final girl, as opposed to having your final boy of, uh, Shiloh Fernandez as David, that feels like a weird turn. Like I say, it just feels weird that Mia can come back at all. This is real horror nerd stuff. Hey, look, she was clearly dismembered, and no matter how much you exercise a demon from somebody, that'll put a neck back on, brother. Um, <laughs> that's that's kind of my problem with the movie is that a lot of the logic falls apart at a couple of points. But I do like how gory it is, and and how gruesome, and for it being a big studio release, and um, you know, like it hitting major theaters. Like this feels like a movie that you should have seen on home video. In you know the late eighties or early nineties or something, um, but yeah, I enjoyed. It. I think it's a good time. I think it's you know, I I gotta kind of give it the same score in a in a weird way uh, to uh, summer of eighty four. I think it's uh, a three and a half star film because it, unlike summer of eighty four, which has uh, which is held back a bit by its style. Evil Dead has a lot of log uh, logic problems going on. Uh, you know, plot holes you can drive a Mack truck through in that movie. But the style of it, the fact that it is still brutal and, and surprisingly somber. Like, it's not a good time movie. It, it's out to make you feel kind of bad. And I don't know. That goes a long way with me, too. I, I don't. I wish it were a little goofier, I think. Um, and I, I could probably go a little, like a little more reanimator, just a pinch more reanimator to it. Uh, a little pinch more evil dead Two, perhaps. 
and it would have been fantastic. But it, it's still fun. I enjoy it. So three and a half stars for that guy as well. Um, and we got three more movies uh, to talk about here before we wrap things up. First, let's uh, let's talk about Halloween. The original 78 John Carpenter Halloween. Watch that. Look, I don't watch it on Halloween night. Maybe that's sacrilege to you. I got, I got my other movies for Halloween night. But uh, let's talk about it. Here's the trailer to the seminal horror film, John Carpenter's Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. Michael? Halloween. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. And just talk. Sure, sure. No. The only reason she babysits is to have a little. Halloween. Directed by John Carpenter, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Uh, it stars, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Stroh, Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis, Nancy Kyes as Annie, PJ Souls as Linda, uh, Charles Cyphers as Brackett, Kyle Richards as Lindsay, Brian Andrews as Tommy, <laughs> some graveyard keepers, Bob Tony Moran as uh, Mike Myers. Um, it is described on uh, IMDb as uh, 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield to kill again. Um, that Look, I, we did a commentary over on Patreon, uh, and you can hear us talk all about you know our love for Halloween. 
I, here's what I want to say about it. And we won't spend forever talking about Halloween because it's Halloween and you know what Halloween is. But I wanted to say this. Have it on the record because because of the influence of Halloween, it's rare on any of the shows I do that we actually talk about Halloween, uh, the movie. So uh, what I do want to say for the record about the film Halloween, other than my rampant love for John Carpenter, which continues to this day. Um, <laughs> no, I, it is a perfect film, uh, in, ter- in terms of horror films, it is exactly what I want that movie to be, which is, I want this movie to be effective. I want it to have great atmosphere. I want to care enough about the characters to be bought in to their deaths, to not be rooting for the villain. Uh, I'll leave that for the, the, you know, the jokey joke killers like your Freddy Kruegers. Um, and I want, I want to care about particularly the final girl, even though at this point, like final girls weren't really a thing, which is hard to believe. Um, and I want the, the killings to be visceral and, and frightening, and Halloween does all that stuff for me. I know that, look, horror is like comedy. Everyone's got a slightly different taste when it comes to that stuff. But for me, the simplicity of Halloween, my favorite things about Halloween have always been the simplicity with which all the, these rules that weren't rules at the time are formed. You know, it's you. the characters are going to be doing teenager shit. They're going to be trying to get laid, get some beers in them. You know, it, like young people stuff. It, it's not crazy and it's not overblown in this one uh, like it, it is in some of the other later slasher uh, derivatives. It's just it's kids wanting to find out where they've got a free space so they can jump into bed. Uh, and that is very natural uh, in, in my experience uh, being a teenager. You're just like, when are your parents going to be home? Are, how long are they going to be out? Meanwhile, the parents are like at Red Lobster going like, we got to get home. Her boyfriend is over. And did you see the look in his eyes? He is going to be humping the side of our couch when we get home. Um, but yeah, so that all <laughs> works for me. I think Dr. Loomis's story about like, you know, uh, I spent five years trying to reach him and another 10 trying to make sure that he never saw the light of day. That once he realized that there truly was nothing but evil within Michael Myers, it becomes his his goal to make sure that the world is safe from Michael Myers. Uh, and, of course, Mike Myers g- gets out and goes back to his old stomping grounds, goes back to his old home, and somewhere along the way catches sight of some babysitters, particularly Lori, um, and just decides, like, that's the one. That's the one I'm going to kill. And uh, the fact that there is no reason for that I think is great. I think Michael Myers, uh, like all good slasher you know, antagonists represent just sort of that random stupid evil that comes to town. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason to it just happens. So I like that about it. Uh, you know, the, obviously the scene with Michael Myers looking at the dude he has stabbed and that tilt of the head as if he is either curious about or appreciative of his own art, um, such as it is. Uh, the reveal of all the bodies is fantastic. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense why Michael Myers would do that other than to terrorize Laurie Strode and also the mousetrap-like precision with which it all uh, executes. All that stuff is very silly, but 
it works so well in the film and the music. Oh my God. Like I listen to the score to Halloween a lot, but it just doesn't work as well without the visuals of Halloween and Halloween scares the shit out of me. Still, I find it to be a very creepy looking movie. I think it's very tense. I think it, it, it just executes everything perfectly. Once you get into the final, like 20, 25 minutes of that movie and it's just firing like one, indelibly frightening image at you after another, like Lori struggling in the closet or, you know, the Nosferatu like rise in the background as she believes she's killed him. All that stuff is just like, man, not only did this movie do it first, uh, in a lot of ways, um, but it just does it so well. It, it just does it with that perfect blend of the cinematography was great. The color choices were great. The performances are great. The music's great. This is all working together. Another lightning in a bottle kind of movie where there will never be a, another movie like Halloween because there can't be. There isn't that that mix of John Carpenter wanting to prove himself, being young and hungry, being given final cut on the film, insisting on it and getting it. Um, him having the inspiration for that particular score that has become almost synonymous with the holiday. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a five-star film. Obviously, Halloween is is one of the great horror films of all time. And every year I watch it, and every year uh, I it, it reminds me a bit of like a Night of the Living Dead or a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or even an Exorcist, something like that, where you can find little nooks and crannies in the filmmaking of Halloween along with those other movies where you can just find little touches, little moments for the actor or a shot that lingers just a little bit longer or, you know, with Halloween, something like doing those ending shots of like, here are all the places where Michael could be. Where is he? You know, uh, when, where is this evil, this evil on two legs going to strike next? It's just so like clever and, just the right side of being on the nose and, and obvious. Uh, it's just so good, man. Halloween is, is where it's at. Um, and so I wanted to mention that because I wanted to talk about these new uh, next two films back to back and end with a recommendation for you. If you haven't seen it, something that maybe this very Halloween, you might want to throw on and, uh, gather the, uh, the kids around and, uh, watch them shit their pants. Um, so let's start with a movie that doesn't necessarily do that. Uh, that's the WNUF Halloween special from 2013. It is a faux VHS tape uh, sort of recording of this Halloween special on uh, on one Halloween night in 1987. Uh, it is described thusly on IMDb originally broadcast live on October 31st, 1987. The WNUF Halloween special is a stunning expose of terrifying supernatural activity that unfolded at the infamous Weber house, the site of ghastly murders, local television personality, Frank Stewart leads a group of paranormal investigators, including Catholic exorcist, father Joseph Matheson and the prolific husband and wife team, Lewis and Claire Berger. Together, the experts explore the darkest corners of the supposedly haunted Weber house, trying to prove the existence of the demonic entities within. Did they find the horrific truth or simply put superstitious rumors to rest? Uh, that's a long-ass synopsis. Here's a trailer while I relax. Jeez. Don't check your dial, folks. You didn't tune into Transylvania's public access station. No, sir. Tonight... 
is Halloween. Halloween is Satan's night. The night of the devil. Reporter Frank Stewart has a special Halloween treat in store for viewers tonight. He'll be leading a group of paranormal experts to the infamous Weber House. Do you know what happened here in the Weber House? Some people got killed. Their son went haywire. Frank Stewart and his team of experts will conduct the first ever live on TV seance. Evil works in mysterious ways, Frank. It's unpredictable. Are there any spirits in the house? It's scary. That, that's far out. That far out. Something strange going on in this house. Animal mutilation. Paranormal disturbances. Devil worship. Wait, whoa, hold on. This is not stage. Hello? Is this the work of the devil? Folks, we are going where no camera crew has gone before. Father, perform the exorcism. This is not some Halloween prank. The grisly evidence of the supernatural is real. We'll be right back. You're watching the WMUF Halloween Special. So the WNUF uh, Halloween Special is directed by Chris LaMartina, who has directed like Carl, Call Girl of Cthulhu most recently, and... Uh, a movie called What Happens Next, Next Will Scare You, uh, is one of the uh, upcoming films that he is tied to. Um, as well as James Brent's Comb, uh, Sean Jones, Scott McCubbin, McCubbin, Lonnie Martin, Matthew Minter, Andy Shobe, um Written by a ton of people. Like, the thing is, this thing is littered with, here's some um, commercials from the time. Uh, which is some of which are dead on. And so I wanted to talk about this movie for a couple of reasons. One, people love it and I don't understand that. And I want someone to explain it to me because I've watched this now for like the third time and I still don't understand it. Um, the acting I think is amateurish. I, and I don't know if it's intentionally campy, but I'm of the mind that you can't intentionally do camp that just sort of happens to your movie. It's not something you can create in a lab. Um, I, the best character is the Frank Stewart character, the kind of grizzled interviewer at the site, but it ends in a way that I don't like, I wish there were more story to this story. I just wish it were more narrative and because the commercials, while I enjoy them to an extent, I also feel like they keep stopping the action of the story that every time I start to get invested in it, it cuts away and it's like, Hey, look at this. Here's a funny like carpet commercial from the era. And here's an ice cream cake. And like, yeah, I get all that, but get around to being an actual like haunted house story for, you know, for five consecutive minutes, I want you to be a haunted house movie. And (laughs) it, it is rare that you get that. So, uh, and like I said, I don't think the performances are very good, uh, overall in this film. And like I said, a lot of people love it. A lot of people have really adopted this as uh, a Halloween staple. I am just not a big fan. Uh, I don't think it does anything particularly well. I think the parodies are funny enough, but the ones in Grindhouse are funnier, um, and, and better done. Um, also, side note, I was watching that Eli Roth uh, horror special, you know, that he's got on AMC where he's talking to 
horror luminaries about various subgenres of of the genre. Um, and when they were going through a list of uh, slashers, Thanksgiving was in the list, uh, which is of course the parody film that Eli Roth did. And, and on one level, I was like, "Ah, fuck you for putting your you know fake two minutes that you you filmed." Uh, into a list that also includes, you know, my bloody Valentine and that kind of thing. But I'm like, eh, I also think that's pretty funny. Well done. Well done, Eli Roth. Credit where credit's fucking due, you know? Um, <laughs> where were we? Yeah, the WNUF uh, Halloween special. Eh, I don't like it. I don't think it's very good. Uh, I get it. I get why people like it. It, it captures, like, there are times that the fidelity that it, it, with which it kind of captures watching a VHS tape from the time I think is, is cool, but I just think that it's all style and, and that it fails at the basic thing a movie ought to do, which is tell some kind of story. Even if that story is just sort of, I don't know. I'm thinking of like Koyanic Scotsy or something like that, uh, where it's like, well, that doesn't really tell a narrative, but there's a thematic story being told there and just something. And, I, I don't care for this one. Uh, so I'm going to give it uh, a mere two stars for the WNUF Halloween special. But I would rather light a candle than curse the darkness. Because, folks, uh, we have come to the final film. And if you haven't seen this, this is your old pal Bo's Halloween recommendation for your uh, viewing tonight. It is a, available on the Shutter series uh, or the Shutter streaming service. It is a 1992 BBC special called Ghost Watch. Here is a listen to that. On Saturday night, we'll be visiting the most haunted house in Britain. But will the ghosts be there? Can you take it? Ghost Watch, a Screen One special for Halloween, Saturday at 9.25 on One. So here's what I really like about Ghost Watch. Um, they do a total Orson Welles War of the Worlds, and here is where we get a little uh, informative on this show. So the way that old-time radio worked back then, um, there were advertisements between most of the shows, except for shows like Mystery Playhouse, which was the Orson Welles show that did uh, War of the Worlds. There were no commercials there because it was considered a public good, right? The government paid for it. It was all sponsored by... Uh, the arts, the program of the government back when that was a thing. And <laughs> uh, when the government actually was like, hey, you know what's important for a civilization? To express itself through art. Um, that's what lasts, it turns out. But uh, at any rate, um, so War of the Worlds began before other shows did. And so they kind of hurriedly got out of the way this bit about uh you're like hey hey welcome to mystery playhouse and now let's do war of the worlds everybody yay okay so there was a another old-time radio show it was actually the um the edgar bergen and charlie mccarthy is that what his name was charlie uh the dummy the ventriloquist on the radio which is stupid but anyway the charlie mccarthy show ended a little late and that's what everyone listened to, or a lot of people listened to it. So once that show ended, 
they start flipping around listening for something else to listen to because that's where you got your entertainment in them days, mostly. And the War of the Worlds episode on uh, uh, on opposite uh, on an opposite network from the Edgar Bergen show was already in progress because there was no commercial and they start to break into a news bulletin about fucking aliens landing. And that's why people lost their shit because of clever timing. So cut to 1992 and this show ghost watch does kind of the same thing because there was a, a, a show on ITV that was airing and it ended kind of late. And so if you flipped back to the BBC, Ghostwatch was already on, but it had been like they throw up a written by title card and whatnot in the upfront of that show, but only in the upfront of that show. And then it's all done straight. Right. And it's the idea that a camera crew from the BBC is going to go into the most haunted house in England. They've got uh, a bank of phones so people can call in and tell their scary stories. Uh, We got the remote camera crew going through the haunted house and in studio, there's a psychic uh, talking all about spooky stuff. And through the course of the night, shit starts going wrong and ghostly stuff is happening. And it's really good and it's really creepy. It does some Haunting of Hill House stuff where the ghost pipes is seen all through the show, but you he's in the background and you have to watch one of them videos that's like, no, he was in this scene and this scene and this scene and this scene. You just never saw him. Um, and, and sometimes when, you know, it's much more obvious. But it's really good, like, Ghostwatch is a great creepy Halloween watch. And and folks, uh according to my tentative research on this, it uh has the honor of being the first television program to be cited in the British Medical Journal as having caused post-traumatic stress disorder in children. Like if you know someone from the UK or are someone from the UK, chances are you know someone who saw it or you saw it or whatever uh that came away from it like fuck that that show got on top of me like it takes a turn um which it very much does and it's yeah it's all very very cool um and and spooky and it's relatively unknown i don't hear a lot of people talking about it so ghost watch uh you know it it's they actually use some actual talent from the bbc on the show to convince viewers so like it'll seem less real to you as a viewer who knows that it's not a real thing but even then the fact that it looks so much like a real thing and the reason i wanted to talk about it uh on the back end of the wnuf halloween special is that that like ghost watch is the right way to do that story and so WNUF is not a regular viewing for me. However, Ghostwatch completely is a regular viewing for me uh, around Halloween. I recommend it for you. Uh, you should watch it and get yourself all scared. It's great. Um, so that's it. That Oh, I need to, I need to rate it. And I'm going to rate it five stars. I fucking love Ghostwatch. I think it, it's a classic for me. Um, and that's it, folks. To uh, some inauspicious ending. Uh, we go, um, the, that is 31 films, more than 31 films, uh, with, a, about a podcast a week. Um, and we'll keep doing something like this, not exactly this, but something like this, uh, cause it's really fun and you guys seem to, uh, enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, let me know that too. Um, Hey, most importantly, 
Have a very, very happy Halloween. Enjoy yourselves. Be safe. Be happy. Be spooky. Be scary. Uh, remember that this is the shit we all love. Halloween is the night to celebrate it. Have a great time. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, after Halloween, then you can have Halloween in your heart all year long. I know. I used to be like you, but now I keep Halloween in my heart, and it's better than I felt in a long time. Happy Halloween, everybody. Bye.